exciting. Oh, good, lots of whoops. <laughs> New series starting today. We're going to look at the first 18 verses of the book of John. Uh, we are going to spend eight Sundays with a couple of other things happening in between, but over just over two months, but over eight Sundays, we're going to look at the first 18 verses of the book of John. I'm really excited about this. Really excited. These are just a few short verses that are packed full of so much truth. You can almost read through it, get a bit confused by it and move on. So we're going to spend eight Sundays specifically getting deep into what John is saying here. But let me introduce the man himself first of all. John, there are two people in the New Testament go by the name of John. First of all, there's John the Baptist. He was Jesus' second cousin. He features in this book. But there was another John. There was a guy who was a fisherman from Galilee. He was a northerner. A northerner called John who worked with fish. And he wrote five books in what we now call our New Testament. He wrote the book of John we're going to look at in a minute. It was a biography of the man Jesus. He also wrote three letters to the church at large, which he wrote in his elderly years when he was an old man. And about the same time, he also wrote another one that comes right at the end of our New Testament, we call Revelation, which was a vision that God gave him about the end of days and about God demonstrating that all his promises he's made will come true. Amen. Amen. Plenty of heckling today. I like it. It's good. We need it. Stirs us. Reminds us this is real. He wrote these five books, and we're going to look at the first one. The thing about this guy, John, he wasn't just someone who heard about Jesus and thought he'd write his biography. I've just read Churchill's biography by Boris Johnson. It's brilliant. Boris never met the man I'm aware of, but he wrote a very good biography. John was Jesus' BFF. He was his best friend forever. He was his closest mate. As much as Jesus had his thousands of followers, he also had his 120 yeah, on a management program, a leadership program. He had his 72. He had his 12. He had his growth group. Within that, he had his close circle of three friends, Peter, James and John. Within that, John was the closest guy he was, ever, he was ever closest to in human speaking on this planet in those three years. John was his best friend. And so when John writes this biography of Jesus, this is an eyewitness account. This is up close and very, very personal. Interestingly, and here's the thing, he skips Jesus' birth. He doesn't start with that. Like Mark skips Jesus' birth and carries on right from where Jesus' adult ministry commences. John skips Jesus' birth. However, he does something very unique. He starts from before Jesus' birth. And not like some biographers would explain the context. Just before someone's born, they'd explain what their parents were like or explain the state of the nation before this person arrived and make, made a difference. That's often what you get in biographies. You need some context. John doesn't even do that. He starts before time began. <laughs> he does. Why does he do that? Well, let's find out. The first chapter of John. It's the fourth book of the Bible. There are four Gospels, four stories about Jesus, four... Uh, four different perspectives of the good news of Jesus. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament we're going to read. We'll read the lot now that the whole series is going to focus on and then we'll return to the first two verses. So, verses 1 to 18, here we go. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning 
with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is the other one I was talking about, John the Baptist, Jesus' second cousin. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me just pray. Lord, these are astounding truths and often it's so profound, so deep for us to even try and get our heads around. We just humbly ask, even right now, in this moment, in this next 25-30 minutes, will you just make it somewhat more known to us? Lord, but as we were praying earlier at the back, Lord, we don't want to walk away enlightened about an idea of you. We don't want to simply walk away having known more about you. We want to walk away knowing you more. Lord, please, will you make these words personal to us as much as they are already personal to you? In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's just return to those first two verses. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I'm going to look at four W's this morning, just to make it easy for you and your notes and to remember things when you get home. We're going to look at different words. We're going to look at was. What does he mean when he was God? We're going to look at with. What does it mean he was with God? We're going to look at the word word. Why is he called word? It's an odd nickname to use there, isn't it? What are you just calling Jesus from the start? There's a reason why he calls him word. And then the fourth W is one I've added. What now? What now? Once we've discovered what it means about was, with, and word, what about us? What now? So first of all, he was God. What's brilliant is a lot I say. He doesn't start with Jesus' birth. He starts before that. He doesn't just start before Jesus' birth. He starts before time began. It's bonkers, isn't it? So the first three words he uses here is in the beginning. What does that sound like? Genesis chapter 1. The very first three words of our Bible as we have it. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What I love about what rabbis explain about the Tanakh is their scriptures. It is our Old Testament. is the Jewish scripture. And they talk about Genesis chapter 1 in a fascinating way. In the beginning, our three words, for them is one word. In Hebrew, it's Bereshit. 
which they point out, as much as it does in our language as well, starts with their second letter of the alphabet. And it does for us, starts with B, Bereshit, as much as in the beginning, starts with the second letter. And rabbis like to point out, there's a good sign in there, there's a good clue in there, that as much as that's the beginning, there was something before it. It doesn't start with A, it starts with B. I love that. Because quite often we understand time as unfolding in front of us. Therefore, it's very easy for us to perceive and think about primarily eternity as unfolding before us, in front of us. Eternity is ahead of us. We understand that. We quite often forget eternity is behind us as well. We are bookended by eternity, which is actually quite scary, makes us seem very, very insignificant, and rightly so. We're bookended by eternity. It's behind us as much as it's before us. Before the beginning, there was something. And so Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, is actually not really a a beginning. It is actually a punctuation mark in something that is already happening. That happening is a person. That person is God. Now, John points out later in this passage, verse 14 onwards, he points out that when he's talking about the word, he's talking about this character that he's introducing, he points out very specifically as Jesus of Nazareth. My best friend, this is the guy I'm talking about. I'm just using aloof language at the moment, but he makes it very clear very quickly. This is Jesus he's talking about. So he's saying, before time began, Jesus existed, Jesus is God. That is very, very dangerous talk. That's huge. Now, because it's so dangerous, some like to reword it. You hear about Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims will reword this. You get hold of their scriptures. And especially if you have Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on the door, get them in. Talk to them about this chapter. Because they will say, right at the very beginning, in the beginning was the word... This is printed in their scriptures, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. I can categorically tell you now, and when we've got time, I'll show you where and when. That is not in the original Greek text. The grammar doesn't allow it. The sentence structure doesn't allow it. Verse 3, when it talks about all things that were created were made through him, he's not created, makes it impossible. Jesus is not a God, and even that word, a is not even in the original text. It's been added because it's dangerous talk. Jesus, John points out here, is God. Amen. So he's saying here, let's put it into modern paraphrase, in the beginning, Jesus already was and he never was not. Get that. Jesus was God. That's the was. Now, just don't, don't forget that. Keep hold of that. Now, let's look at with God. This is where it starts getting a bit more elaborate. Because he's saying here, Jesus was coexisting, not separate from entirely, but coexisting with God. He was the same in essence, but he's a different person. See, I can be me, but I can't actually be with me. We talk about it in metaphorical terms, like, oh, I enjoy my own company, or I don't enjoy my own company. We talk about ourselves in the third person a little bit, don't we? But actually, I can't be with me, I just am me. Does that make sense? So for him to say, 
Jesus was God and he was with God means there's more than just Jesus to the definition of God. There's something else going on here. It gets a bit mind-blowing, doesn't it? But John wants to spell out very, very quickly, Jesus was God, not a God, and not not God. It was God. But it was also with God in terms of being a distinctly another person whilst still God. Now, when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we talk about the three-part Godhead, it gets very confusing very, very quickly. But that's because it's not made up. You think of all the other gods that exist in belief systems, they're in the image of man or they're able to be made up by men. You can't make this kind of stuff up. So it's, it's not three gods, it's one god, but three persons. I don't understand. Good. You shouldn't be able to. <laughs> because he's God and you're not. To me, this makes it even more excitingly so that he must be God. I can't get my head around this and he makes him so much more other than me. Jesus was God and was with God. But it gets better. There's more to this. This word with. The expected word for John to have used in the original Greek here would have been para. With. Alongside. We still use it. Parallel. Alongside. Paramedic. Working alongside other health staff. Paralegal. Working alongside the lawyers. Para. Alongside. There's just there's an understanding there. And we'd have got that if John had used that word. He doesn't. He uses another one that has been translated as with. He uses the word pros. P-R-O-S. Which means moving towards. Not just alongside, he's moving towards. It's not para, it's pros. Which means this is a dynamic, not a static relationship. Which means this is not merely about proximity. This is personal. See, this pros, this word with, actually means this is Jesus is delighting, loving, moving, dancing part of a moving, loving, delighting community Godhead. He didn't just happen to be there alongside the Father. Theologians use the word perichoresis to describe the Godhead, to describe the relationship. It just simply means entwining and weaving, constantly in relationship with each other, yielding towards and for. It's amazing. These aren't just three characters who just sat around and did their own thing. One in the lounge, one in the kitchen, one upstairs watching Netflix. This is an all-singing, all-dancing, eternal, amazing, good, beautiful, loving community that always was, never was not, always will be God. Isn't that amazing? And that's what John's pointing out very quickly here. He is saying Jesus always was, never wasn't, all-singing, all-dancing, awesome, beautiful God. And he puts this at the start of the man's biography. <laughs> Imagine what his initial readers thought. What I love, though, is that he doesn't try to explain it and he doesn't try to validate it. He just puts it out there because he knows that this is a truth that carries its own power and will have its own impact in the way that God intends to use it. He doesn't try and back himself up. He just, that's the truth. Like it or lump it, it's entirely up to you. He just puts it out there. Spurgeon, when he was asked about the, the Bible, it's in, in a similar principle, he said, about defending the Bible. He said, defend the Bible? He said, I'd rather try and defend a lion. Just uncage it and it'll defend itself. 
And that's exactly what John's doing here. He goes, this is the truth. Like it or lump it. It's not my problem, it's yours. Because it's true. Have it. That Jesus was, was God and with God means that man, Jesus, of Nazareth. When we focus on him, that man of history, this means when we focus on him, it doesn't draw us away from God. It draws us to God. See, Muslims will talk about God is immensely powerful, but unknowable. That is their belief. You can't know his character, but you can know what he expects of you. That's Islam. Hindus will declare there are lots of gods, all with different characters and all having fights and barnies. Lots of gods. Buddhism will say there is no God, just the universe is effectively God. There isn't God, but it acts as if it is. Christianity says... Jesus is God, completely redefines that three-letter word, God. Completely, in a massively unique and dangerous way. To say that Jesus of Nazareth, the man of history we talked about last week, is in the history books, he's real. To say that that man is eternal God in a suit of flesh, is a stake in the ground, there's no wriggle room, and that's why we at Beacon Church bang on about him. See, we can talk about Father all the time. We can talk about God all the time. And we do use those words. But if we only do that and don't talk about Jesus, people, or we ourselves sometimes, can get the wrong impression of who this God is we're talking about. As soon as you talk about Jesus, there's only one unique understanding of who that God is when you mention Jesus. And that's why we go on and on and on and on about Jesus, just to make sure we are worshipping the right God. Amen. So that's was God, that's with God. Next W, can you remember from your notes? Word, very good, you've been scribbling, brilliant. Why is he called Word? It's a bit of an odd nickname to use, isn't it? Didn't call him Jay, he's my BFF, Jesus, me and him, Jay. He called me Jay too, John and Jesus. He doesn't do that, Word. Bit of an odd one, isn't it? Why is that? When Amy was born, when Amy was born, we could have driven home from the hospital, gone indoors, shut the curtains, take it in turns to go out and do the food shop, keep it to ourselves. Don't do that, do you? It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. You want to celebrate it. You want to tell the world. That's why I phoned, I woke up both sets of parents at 3 a.m., She's here! It's a girl! They're like, what? We thought it was a boy. It's a girl! That's a long story. I wanted to wake them up at 3am, and they were delighted that they were woken up at 3am. It was good news. I was sending out a flurry of texts to friends and to family and to colleagues, especially to Jim Broughton, so I could have some time off. Brilliant. But also, also, these days it would be on social media before you know it, wouldn't it? But in that, there was a need for us to have to get it out there. It would be ridiculous of us to keep it to ourselves. It's good news. In the same way, a king, imagine a king sitting on the throne. Now, he can have some very good judgments made in his head, very good thoughts, understandings of what's needed for his kingdom. He knows what's best for his kingdom. He's a good king, but he can keep those thoughts to himself. 
The kingdom will therefore be completely unaffected by that. Makes no difference. Just unravel into chaos. For his thoughts and his good judgments to be made for his kingdom's benefit, he needs to proclaim them. They need to be announced. He needs to um, tell his messengers to write it down and go and herald it through the land. Turn it into law, whatever's required at the time. It has to be proclaimed. And so to know God requires a proclamation from him. We need God to know him. We need him to say, this is me. I'm touchable. I'm knowable. Come and watch Come and listen, come and ask, come and prod me, see my thoughts enacted. We need him to do that. Thankfully, he did. The word. Jesus, write this down, Jesus is God out loud. Jesus is God out loud. John read from Luke 4 earlier. Luke chapter 4. John read from when Jesus is in the synagogue and and he's given the scroll of Isaiah. And which bit does he read? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's just read that again. You notice the word that keeps popping up. He, Jesus, unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. This was the moment in the beginning of his ministry when he nailed his colours to the master. This is me. This is when people started getting very nervous. This is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus is the Godhead proclaiming, making judgments known, making decisions and thoughts, making character known to mankind. Proclamation. Hebrews 1.2 talks about God has spoken to us through his son Jesus. Matthew 17.5, the father says publicly to a few guys around Jesus at the time, says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is God out loud. Because words are more than just air being forced out of lungs by contracting muscles through your larynx, out of a mouth that keeps changing shape. That's just noise. Can be, can't it? Words are more than that, aren't they? Words are intentional. Words are decisive. Words are directional from one person to another. Words are communicating. They are intended and they have decisions behind them. They have thoughts behind them and they have purpose. Jesus, as word, is intentional, decisive, Character made known, directional, from one party to another. Jesus is God out loud, do you see? This is why John calls him Word, the Word. That's all very well, but so what is God communicating through Jesus? What is he communicating? That's his proclamation, what is he saying? All you have to do then is look to Jesus and you see what God is proclaiming. You see who God is. You see his character. You see uh, God who speaks truth without compromise. He's very blatant about the state we're in. And he's very blatant about the fact that it's our fault. He's very clear about sin. 
He's very clear about how our lifestyles, our lives, even our thoughts, the corners of our heart, dishonour beautiful holy God. He's very clear about that, but he also does it in a way that is gracious and compassionate and meets us where we are when we can't get ourselves out of the mess we're in. That is what God is communicating. He is communicating that he cares. He is communicating that he grieves over us, for us, and also with us. He is a God who celebrates with us. When we come into his family through faith, through his son and what he's done, he sings love songs over us. Do you know he sings love songs over you? His word tells us that. Isn't that beautiful? God sings love songs over you. And we discover these things through Jesus, the way he celebrates, the way he walks alongside people, the way he cares, the way he speaks to them, the way he transforms, the way he physically heals, the way he declares he didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. It's you and me. He didn't come to, serve, to, to be served, he came to serve. Through Christ we get to know the Father. It's there we see a God who knows our needs, our temptations, our desires, who knows our hurts. He knows our wrongdoings and he meets them all personally. He deals with us on a personal level. All you fear, all you dream of, all you're maybe enslaved to, he knows and he can meet you head on in those places. And it's through Jesus seeing who he is what he has done, we recognise that to be true. And so I would say this, God's message to us is less about what Jesus said, but actually Jesus himself. Jesus is God out loud, which is why he's called the Word. Jesus was God, Jesus was with God, Jesus is the Word. What now? So what? See, this prologue, this understanding, just these first two verses even, that John has, this conclusion and understanding that John has come to, it took him the best part of three years to get his head round. And he wants to be right up front in the first two sentences, so before we go into anything else, get this. Don't muck about, don't leave it to too late, it took me a while to, get, get to come to the same understanding. Please, don't waste any more time, ASAP, up front, before we move on to anything else, get who he is. I'm not going to save it and be a clever writer and keep it for a punchline at the end. Right at the end, ha-ha, and actually he was God, ha-ha. Thick sense, twist in the tail at the end. He doesn't want to do that because he feels he'd have cheated us. Don't miss out any longer, understand who my best friend was and is. Because imagine, think of your best friend, whoever your best friend might be right now, Imagine you came to the understanding that they were actually eternal God, always was, never was not, God in a suit of flesh. Imagine how you feel. A bit mind-melting, isn't it? John had to come to that conclusion. And he doesn't want us to waste any time not realising that. He wants us to know it up front. And he's saying, Jesus is God out loud. Come and meet him for yourself. See, Jesus of Nazareth is more than a myth. We learned about that last week. He's a real man of history. But he's also more than a man. And you can experience him for yourself just like John did. He may not come and sit in these chairs with us. 
He may not pop around your house for a cup of tea, but he meets you in a very, very, very real way by Holy Spirit, by what he did on the cross for you, by what he did from rising from that tomb for you and ascended to the Father's right hand, where even right now he intercedes for you. He acts on your behalf for you. That's what his word promises. You can experience him for yourself at just the same profound means as John did as well. How? Don't dismiss this fantastical notion. And it does sound that, doesn't it? Don't dismiss it. Be open to the fact that this is possible and you'll be surprised very quickly. You'll discover a God who walks to meet you in the storms of life. Many people here can put their hands up to that. They've experienced that. Heads are nodding already. You will discover a God who is beside you, walks beside you on a desert road. You will discover a, a God who grieves with you in your loss. You will discover a God who rejoices with you in celebration. You will discover a God who brings healing, who brings transformation. Who here is changed because of Jesus Christ? Actually changed. Look at that. You're actually different to how you used to be, for better because of him. And it's in that when you place your trust in Christ for your eternal future, for your security and dealing with your past and your future, you discover you have a new citizenship, you discover you have a new direction, you have a new destiny, you have a new purpose in life. And it's all signed, sealed and delivered by the man Jesus Christ on the cross and rising from the grave for you and for me. Last week we discovered there is a God we can investigate. And here, again, we discover there is a God you can discover. For me, I have known his personal, I have known peace in times when there should be anything but because of him. I have known provision. We've been down to virtually our last pennies and the bills come through and the money's arrived anonymously. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes he does it other means, but things like that happen. I've known his provision of relationships that we've needed to lean on in hard times. I've known his provision of other logistics and all sorts. I know other people here about moving houses and all sorts. He provides. I've known his encouragement when I've not received it elsewhere. I've known his affirmation when I've been seeking for it from the wrong place or not receiving it when I should. I've known his affirmation as his child. I've known his acceptance despite what I've been like and what I've ever done. I've known his guidance when I've been lost. Very clear guidance. And it's all despite me. And it's all because of him. Why? Because God came as a proclaimed message in flesh. Jesus, God out loud, came and intervened. Do you know that for yourself? I want to pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we understand that you are something we can't even get our heads around in many ways. We see that eternity behind us never began, you were there. Eternity before us, a scary notion, but you're there. 
You are a God who is outside of time, a God who created time. And yet, despite us as mankind turning our way and not yours, thinking we know better, putting ourselves on the throne, following our heart's desires and being blind to the fact that our hearts are deceitful. In spite of ourselves, you came and intervened. That you, Jesus, came as the proclamation of the Godhead. And you came and declared who you were to us. And you said, here I am, this is me. Prod me, discover me, know me. And we can do that even now. Lord, we thank you so much that we have your word to discover you by. We thank you that you came when we could not rescue ourselves. We could not get ourselves out of this pit. Try as hard as we like. But you, eternal, loving, all singing, all dancing, weaving, entwining God, came to rescue us. We celebrate you. We glory in you. You deserve every ounce of our being giving you praise. And so this morning we declare God is Jesus of Nazareth in a suit of flesh, now ascended on high to the Father's right hand and still working on our behalf even right now and beyond. Even in the stuff we don't know we should be worrying about. <laughs> Lord, we declare you as God and we celebrate you. And we say, just humbly, we ask from now on, may we know you more as a result of that. May you let this seep into our bones, into our very being, that even as we go about our busy lives and it's easier to get distracted and forget you, may you just wake us up to the reality of how immense you are and also how loving you are, how merciful you are, what you've done for us and what you are doing. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.